0: Welcome to an EG Property Podcast from MIPIM 2023. This session will cover, will governance save us from environmental and social challenges, or does leadership have an even bigger role to play? Chairing this panel is Tim Burke, Deputy Editor at EG, and he's joined by fellow panelists Daniel Chang, Managing Director of ESG at Heinz, Jess Kennedy, Associate Director of Climate and Sustainability, ARUP, and finally, Petri Valkama partner of NREP. Okay, good afternoon everyone. Um, Welcome if you've just popped in, welcome back if you've been here earlier. I'm Tim Burke, I'm EG's deputy editor. Uh, This next panel this afternoon is about leadership and specifically the type of leadership that will let real estate companies tackle the really big environmental and social challenges that they're facing both in their businesses and in the businesses that they're doing business with. There were too many businesses there, but you, um, you know what I mean. So we have three panellists and 45 minutes. Probably too many questions to get through, but we'll give it a shot. Um, we'll be asking how the best corporate leaders are driving responsible initiatives in their businesses, how they can galvanize their workforces to follow that lead, and how they can go beyond what regulation uh necessitates them doing to uh, create and shape uh, a corporate culture around some of these issues. Uh, I'm joined on stage by Daniel Chang, Managing Director for ESG at Heinz, Jess Kennedy, an Associate Director for Climate and Sustainability at Arup, and Petri Valkama, a partner at NREP. And I will start by asking each of our guests just to tell us a little bit about themselves, their role within their business, and the perspective that they're bringing to the discussion this afternoon. Um, Daniel, I'll start with you and we'll work our way along.
1: Thanks very much, Tim. Is this working? Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Okay. Um, So, hello, everyone. Um, Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Daniel Chang and I'm the European lead for ESG at Heinz. Um, And I have been with Heinz for 24 years. So, um, in that uh, time, I've actually changed roles several times. So, I started out in development and construction and then moved into investment management um, for about 12 years. And so in investment management, I was really seeing how much ESG was really coming to the forefront of um, you know, the mindset of an institutional investors and what we were doing in our fund strategy. And so started to take on that role. And over time, that sort of nighttime role became sort of a full-time job. And so for the last two years, I've been now dedicated to ESG at Heinz in Europe and building out a small team. And we're very much focused on Pushing forward on many of our ESG objectives, which um, uh, include decarbonisation, but also very much the social agenda, and obviously government structures to 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 really support that. Thanks, Jess. Over to you.
2: <coughs> um, hi everyone. Jess Kennedy, uh, associate director at Arab. Um, so, for those of you that don't know, Arab Arab um, is a, a collective of engineers, designers, advisors, specialists. Um, <laughs> All with a, a sort of shared um, a, ambition to, to shape a better world. We're approximately seventeen or eighteen thousand people across um, one hundred and forty countries globally. Um, we're owned in trust, we're purpose-led, so very much with a focus on um, um, sustainable development. Um, I've um, about twenty years' experience advising um, organisations. So my role at Arab is as an external consultant. Um, so. Um, very much a focus on advising organisations, predominantly in property but also in other sectors, on how they um, approach sustainability or ESG. Um, uh, so from that sort of strategy development and implementation process through assessment and reporting, etc. But for me it's really, really important that those frameworks, that sort of strategy approach is is underpinned by a really robust um technical practical approach and interventions and I guess I'm lucky at Arup to have that breadth of engineers and designers that can That can mean that anything that we do put forward is is underpinned um, by that by that technical approach Um, So I guess today I can reflect a little bit on Arup itself. I've been at Arup for 15 years, so I'm quite um, um, Got some perspective on, on the journey that Arup's been on and play some sort of advisory role, I guess, in terms of what ARAP does organizationally, but more so drawing on my experience of working with others and the successes and failures that I've seen along the way of what works and the aspects of leadership and culture that that can support that.
0: Perfect, thank you. And Petri.
3: Hello, everybody. My name is Petri Valkama. I'm a partner and member of the investment committee at NREP. Um, And NREP is uh, the largest real estate investor and developer in the Nordics. Uh, We are managing roughly 20 billion AUM, and we have more than 700 colleagues. Um, And while we are originating from that region, um, we are actively um, finding new markets. We are in Poland, we are in Germany, we are actively looking at the UK market. Um, And we sort of see that, you know, the Nordics uh, on sustainability in many ways are... Uh, you know, very far in, for example, the regulation as well as aspirations of companies. And for us, strategically, driving the s- sustainable transition of the built environment is a core part of strategy and how we invest and how we define our strategies. And as a concrete example, we have set uh, a very ambitious target to be CO2 neutral in our portfolio by 2028, including operational and embodied, and now everybody says that embodied is like super hard, and we know that, and without offsetting. And, and we realize that this is a, a, a super difficult target, uh, but we are already at the stage where we internally talk about the operational part as being the easy part in this equation. Uh, so very happy to be here with you.
0: Happy to have you here. Thank you very much all. Um, Jess, I'd like to jump back to you and talk about um, your work in advising external companies on sustainability so that they're, they're coming to you to help them shape a strategy work out how they're gonna benchmark it work out what the end goals are when you're having those conversations how often are they bringing up topics like leadership within their business like creating a culture around the, the issues that they're speaking speaking with you about and has that changed over the years
2: um, there's a lot in that I think um... Often when companies come to us, I wouldn't, we always sort of test that that benchmark, if you like, of where they are on that sliding scale, and, and do they want to be leaders, do they want to be close to leaders, do they want to be following the pack, you know, what's their attitude to risk, I think is all part of that, um, but quite often, w- before we're having those conversations, it's it's really helping them work out where to start, and how to ke- get create that culture and, and really they're more interested in how we're going to get success, how we're going to achieve the outcomes that we want to achieve, how we're going to work out what those outcomes are um, and so I think our approach is, is more to, to create um, a, a, a process or a way of working with a client that enables um, that sense of leadership and culture to come through that process so there are a number, to bring that, make that a bit more tangible, a key aspect is is getting that buy-in so, right from the start, it's really um, looking at all the key stakeholders that need to be involved. So, if you start with the top management, for example, without that, you're not going to have the resourcing, you're not going to have that commitment that's going to flow through the organisation. Um, so, understanding the drivers, being able to put the business case forward is really important to get that that support at that level. Um, then, you really need to. Look at the structure of the organization, the, the role that you might need around head of sustainability or a similar type of role, you need that person to own it, to be driving the momentum, to be inspiring change to the organization. Um, but what's really important is um, that that person is not tasked with delivering the whole thing and, oh, that's okay, so-and-so, we'll, we'll deliver it, we're, we're done. It's very much um, a big part of the leadership that, it, that needs to be embedded in. Is understanding that it's a responsibility of all the key parts of the organisation. So we'll work very hard to to um, to, to bring in the key leaders. So in a property context, the development managers, the asset managers, the investment managers all need to be really bought in from the start. Um, the employees, obviously, very very key part of that and part of creating the culture that you need as well. So. Um, uh, they understand the issues, and they'll probably be the best people to come up with some of the solutions as well. So finding ways to make sure you're listening, make sure they have a voice, make sure there's structures in place for them to be involved in the process is really important. Um, and then we'll always bring in um, the supply chain, can't be forgotten along along the way. So um, if you only focus on your own organi- organization, the, the reach and the success of what you're doing is gonna be very limited. So that key role that the supply chain has to play And uh, so a client can look at that in terms of what top-down requirements should be put in place um, for our supply chain. But I think more importantly, if you can create that culture of working with your supply chain um, uh, so that perhaps you're setting out the outcomes, but you're getting the supply chain to come up with the solutions with you as opposed to being asked what to do. I think another way of engaging the supply chain is making sure that they're contractually engaged to do what you want to do, um, but also that you're working with them to understand what the issues are that might be impacting their ability to, to, to drive change. And maybe you can help work with them to address that or maybe um, you, can, you can bring others together in the industry to start to address that. Um, so I think a, a key part of this is, is that buy-in, um, bringing in external stakeholders as well, so your customers, your investors, whoever they may be, and not just communicating at the end of your approach but bringing them along that journey with you. So I think I'll answer that by closing and saying it's it's buy-in in in the first instance and bringing all those stakeholders together that can be part of the solution there.
0: Your point about the supply chain is really interesting because I imagine that's a huge challenge. Daniel, in a business like Heinz, how how do you tackle that?
1: No, I think that's a really important part of the the whole process. And I think, um, so to start off, uh, Heinz has a net zero commitment uh, in operations by 2040 for scopes one, two, and three. So that includes the supply chain. It includes occupiers. And so um, really engaging with all of those different stakeholders is is a key ingredient in successfully achieving that that, that target. And so it's about being able to... um, provide the, first of all, the understanding of why it's important, um, not just setting those objectives, which have been set out very clearly in the messaging and the priority of that, um, and also the, the resources in terms of the team and the extended team, but also making sure that people understand why it's important and why they need to, um, you know, the creation of value um, of ESG and, and, and how that, um, at the end of the day, also comes together with the bottom line. Um, And so, um, you know, there's mechanisms of doing that. There's one, for example, is making sure that you are upgrading people and you have that form of discussion so that they understand what they need to do, how they're going to do it, but why it's important. Um, With respect to supply chain, it's about making sure that we have the clear objectives for each of our project teams so that they're able to engage with the value chain um, in terms of uh, whatever the criterias are that we have as objectives that they are also aligned with, with how they're communicating yeah. with them. Um, and extrapolating that also to the occupiers, um, yeah. which is a significant part of, 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 of what we're working towards. It's about also creating um, you know that engagement with the occupiers, having tools, for example, like a we have something called um, Heinz Go, which is a, a guide to engage with occupiers around what the types of topics they should be focusing on in their spaces so that we can engage with them in a more close way. To work towards um, reducing carbon, but also social engagement. Um, so it's also about providing those tools and those governance structures to help to um, allow that that that, that, that uh, fruitful discussion.
0: Petri, when when we were talking before, you made this point that when we're talking about governance and leadership, this isn't an, an either-or issue. That the, the regulation will will create the motivation and then it's up to leadership within the companies to, to sort of turn that into uh, into a vision if we take NREP and its work how how do those two sides of the equation balance out in what you're looking to achieve
3: so in our view the whole transformation in a company will start with the conviction of the leadership uh, The the is that you know when you start to analytically look at this on a case-by-case basis very often it will e- easily be a you know situation on a micro level that you can sort of analyze and cut and dice it you know in so many ways that you can find the arguments for both directions, and therefore the companies that actually you know take the steps and manage to scale them, are the ones where it is the conviction, of course in a fact-based manner, but still a conviction that this is the direction where we are gonna you know find the future of the business, and then you know for that that conviction to be there, there are some who are finding it in themselves and in their vision that this is actually where the whole industry will transform. But we still see that there is a very large part of the industry where what we need is also the governance and the government and the regulation to just put the you know foot on the ground and say that this is it. So you know we for example get questions about the UK regulation about the required EPC ratings in the office space. And whenever somebody you know asks we are like don't change You know, you need to keep them. You need the government needs to tell everybody we are not going to let loose. We know that only like 13% of the office market today is complying by the 2030 goal. But they need to say, yes, that's not going to move. And yes, somebody is going to take a loss here. But you need to sort of give that message because there's so much of the industry where the leadership is not yet there. And they need to hear the hard message for them to see that actually we need to be there. Because it's first these minds that need to move. And then the organization I- is going to move with them. And it's of course, that is not easy either, but it all should start with a conviction.
0: When you put it like that, it sounds like we speak about buildings not being fit for purpose when that comes in. It feels like there might be leaders who aren't fit for purpose as well in that
3: case. Well, and whole organizations. Mm. It, it's not only the leaders. Because you can very much see it you know, throughout that there is people on all levels who will be you know, very skeptical. It's like human nature, change is never easy. It's never easy to realize that we thought we had something here and now somebody's coming and telling us that, you know, no, this, you know, what you had either in your plans in the very short term or your assets, you know, in a bit of a longer term are not what you thought, you know, they are cut out to be. And nobody likes to be in that place when you are told that, no, it's like, you know, back to the drawing table. But but this is also a massive transformation for the whole of you know mankind. We are not gonna I mean we are all here because it's hard. We are not here because it's easy. And therefore because it's hard you also need to take big steps and you need to have a conviction for that.
0: Jess, for you, what does what does good look like in real estate companies at the moment here? And I know we can maybe move on to talk about some of the other sectors they could they could learn from, but property companies that you're working with, what are some initiatives that you're that you're seeing work?
2: Um, I think um, there's companies that um, are not afraid to h- ask the hard questions, I think. So they're creating that, c- that culture where um, they might be setting certain strategies and policies, but they're actually on the ground asking those questions on their supply chain, on their construction sites. So, for example, living wage. Is that what's actually happening on the ground, or their responsible procurement policies? It's easy to write these things in some ways, but what's actually happening on the ground? Where, ground, where are their um, materials, you know, coming coming from? What, what's going on in the supply chain? So, I think um, companies that are data-driven as well, so they've got the ability to back up their cli- their claims. They're transparent about the strengths, but also their weaknesses and where where they're um, where they need to, to focus on. I think we're all aware of, of, of greenwash claims and the, and the risk of that. And so I think companies that are really focusing on on the good and the bad of that, I think we're seeing a lot of change around disclosure and frameworks, etc., which is confusing and, and challenging, but um, hopefully is, is, is bringing us to a place where there is more consistency, more ability to really um, demonstrate how sustainable... Something is, and I think as part of that, this real push towards um, materiality and double materiality, and really understanding the impact that a company has on the external, but what the impact the external has on the company, and really getting to the grips of the 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 risk and opportunity associated with that, and the financial implications of that. Um, those companies that are grappling with that already um, are the leaders, and I think it links to the, to the regulation when we have sign pa- signposting. Um, such as the um, uh, TNFD or other um, European um, legislation that we can see that those thought leaders are really getting in there. They're piloting. They're they're really paving the way for others to follow. Um, So that's some examples of leadership, I think.
0: And what about outside of real estate? Where could could property companies look to for inspiration? Maybe other sectors that you've seen Tackle some of these issues around sustainability um, with a real flair, with some creativity that, that <coughs> property could take some inspiration from.
2: Oh, I'm not sure I have a good answer to that. I think most of my experience is in is in property. I think there's a lot of common issues really across different sectors. I think, um, and a lot of it comes down to um, capacity building, to skills, to training, to how you how you create that culture within organisations. So. Um, yeah I'm not gonna I don't think I can put okay. an example there for you
0: um a question for any of you how should management be motivated here is there, are we are we talking here about topics that should be built into year-end reviews built into um salary packages bonus schemes
1: oh I'm happy to start on that one I think um I think I, I, it starts really with, with the, the, the clear messaging. It starts with a clear message in terms of you know, what is important to the company um, in terms of, you know for example, having a commitment or how are you going to achieve that. So, for example, we have a net zero commitment in operations, it's going to be following the science-based target initiative, mm. and we're aligned with CREM, and so that is the messaging. But then it's also the priority of the messaging in terms of you know, how you're prioritizing that in terms of the value process for a firm but then it's also about you know you know to your point, Jess, about making sure that you are actually doing something about that and showing that by having the resources available in terms of whether that's internal or external resources um, to be able to you know have that change management and provide those tools and resources and the and the clarity of what needs to get done um, and then ultimately also by example. I think um, you know having someone in leadership or different people within the organization that are taking leadership positions really is something that then can inspire people to do more. I think there is a role to your question around, you know, governance structures to motivate the organization to move forward. So having, for example, you know, ESG goals as part of your end-of-year reviews has a role to play. It doesn't necessarily need be need to be prescriptive in terms of what that goal is because the important thing is to embed ESG across the organization. An ESG team is a limited resource but making sure that you're embedding that across the whole platform i think is the end goal in the different parts of the process of the business so having those goals can help to 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 foster that equally what i mentioned before you know having the governance structure of having an upskilling training program around esg can help to then motivate people about those goals um but also why those goals are important and how they're creating value so i definitely think there's lots of ways that you can motivate people through certain governance elements like the two that I just mentioned
3: I really love your point on embedding it and I think it is fair to say that especially in the transition period yes there is a you know role for these different you know tools but if we take a step further like where do we actually want to get to we would rather want to get to a point where the defining factor of the business is that it is co2 neutral And then it's not rather, you know, saying that, okay, is there a bonus on what is your CO2? But it's more like we expect your business to be CO2 neutral, and then we are measuring you on the business you generate, as an example. So it's more like, you know, like a hygiene type of a bar. And, of course, we are not there yet, and we need to do business in between, so we need to find a pragmatic solution. And, yes, therefore, there are going to be, you know, steps here in between. Uh, But just to say that the long-term, you know, target should not be a a sort of a weak compromise, but it should be a very ambitious target.
0: We're about um, halfway through, so I was going to open it to the floor and just see if anyone here had any questions that they would like to put to the panel or any specific panelists. We can get a mic.
1: Hi, I'm Vincent van Beileveld, and I have an investor a collaboration of, uh, let's say, investors like APG, Neuberger, Wellington, that are invested in real estate. And um, when we are engaging with both listed and non-listed real estate companies, we see a lot of companies having set net-zero targets. Some try to reach it with offsetting, uh, which is obviously not really valid. But I don't see that many companies that have actually made uh, net-zero asset plans. So really know what they're going to do with their assets. So I was wondering, both from the Heinz perspective and the arrow perspective, if you're seeing that market develop. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to start. No, so definitely that that, that, that that is the case. And I think um, to the point that we were making earlier, you know, one thing is to have a strategy, but you need to now be beyond the strategy and, and really implementing and, and working through what you're going to do in your assets. And so um, we call it net zero roadmaps or energy audits or whatever the, the terminology is, but we are definitely already have been obtaining them um, and laying them out against CREM um, and really seeking to understand what the carbon levers are, individual you know tailored to each asset Um, and then you know it's always interesting um, especially when you look at it from a carbon perspective you know given a particular location the fact that it might be um, you know connected that building to district heating what the elements of that district heating are bringing to the to the project but then you know going beyond having those net zero roadmaps now we've started to look at the category of the different um, initiatives that are being that are coming up in these net zero roadmaps and looking at the payback as well so that we have a clear understanding of the value part of it and the cost benefit of each of them. Um, and it's always interesting to see that the big picture is that they tend not to be as as expensive as, as you would think. Um, so that's that's a revelation as well. Obviously that needs to be overlaid sometimes with what that specific business plan is. But um, I would say that that, that is uh, now a, a given to be obtaining those. And then obviously the next step is you know how you... How you implement some certain elements, but you know many of those elements are already being implemented.
2: I mean, I've s- seen different companies take different approaches to setting targets. Some setting those ambitious targets and then worrying about how they're going to get there later, and others really wanting to understand the implications of those t- of that target and the, the cost implications, etc. Bef- you know, before they commit. And there's pros and cons of, of both of those. I think you know um, to that point, we um, obviously. Lots of companies are now doing that asset-level um, net-zero net strategy, or looking at a portfolio level, or an, or an asset level, and you know thinking about the risk of stranded assets, etc. Um, so, I, I you know I assume we're only going to see see more of that.
3: For us, putting those plans in place has exactly been one of the core and the heavy lifting parts of the work, and then also identifying the repeating scalable solutions uh, is one of the core ways in which we see that this can be scaled across the organization. And that's actually a question we really get a lot, like how are you going to get this done, not only in you know one or two assets, but in hundreds of assets and with hundreds of people working on them. And there it is that it goes concrete. Uh, so as a concrete example, if we are, for example, looking in the investment committee today, let's say a residential investment in the Nordics, and somebody's bringing it forward without a heat pump-based you know, solution, we have the IC asking questions like, why not? This is a standard toolbox solution you know, for getting there. Why are you not doing this time? What is your evidence that this is you know, nonetheless meeting the objectives that we have set? And I know this is a detail, let's forget that, but it's the fact that you go into the scalable solutions, and then the, you know, everybody in the organization can at least get that done even if there's the long tail of actions that on a project level or property level, which will then be more intense.
0: Um, Daniel, you touched, on, you touched on training earlier, and you were talking about resources within businesses. What kind of talent issues are your companies facing here? What new skill sets do you need to bring in on this journey? And is it, is it easy or challenging to find those um, in the marketplace at the moment?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, uh, there's no doubt that 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 um, that the ESG talent is something that's very well sought after um, in the last few years. Um, so we have also been growing out our ESG team. Um, it's something that is you know fundamental to the strategy of the firm. Um, but for example, in the last two years, we've created a carbon team with a head of carbon, so focused explicitly on everything related to setting the strategy in terms of carbon, but also. Um, sort of defining how you know, we're going to uh, achieve that target, like I mentioned with SBTI, science-based target initiatives, which essentially means you're going to rely on everything except for carbon offsets. Um, and aligning ourselves to CREM, the climate risk real estate monitoring tool, which is a benchmark which allows you to understand your performance in terms of carbon against a, a given benchmark. Um, but then also the tools in terms of the guides around carbon. So I think um, there's more and more um, important set around talent. And if you look at the flip side as well, um, I'm not sure if this is exactly your question, but um, you know, ESG is something that is also drawing talent. Um, so from a social perspective, there's a lot of um, you know younger generations p- particularly that are much more. Uh, in tune with the importance of ESG and drawn to uh, a firm that has a very strong focus on ESG as well.
0: Have you seen that shift at Heinz? You you commented on you know your your sort of 20 plus years within the business, your current role being over 18 months, and that sort of shift that you've seen more recently. Uh, is that in part being driven, do you think, by a um, a new generation coming into the industry somewhat?
1: Um, I don't think necessarily, but, but I definitely think the sense of urgency around the you know, goals that we've set for ourselves and wanting to achieve them um, you know, really have um, meant that we all need to be having the right talents and skill sets uh, to be able to achieve those goals.
0: Jess, yeah. is, that, is that idea of talent something you're talking with, with external clients a lot?
2: Yeah, I guess I could think about that from two perspectives. So if I l- look at the clients that we're working with, um, I guess in the past we might be working with an organisation that um, sustainability was part of somebody's day job, um, whereas now we've really seen a, a move towards a, a companies building their own ESG teams. And um, I think that's positive. I think it, it enables companies to do a lot more a lot more quickly um, because I've seen that sort of lack of resource being a real... Issue in the in the past with companies, I've also seen um, the skill sets that are coming into this space much differently. You know, it's quite different. So, this idea of, of you know finance executives, for example, shifting into ESG roles, so bringing that much more broader perspective into these roles, much more business-linked um, understanding, I think is really changing how um, companies can think about that and the ability that they have to embed this within their core. Business, um, I think, from Arab's p- perspective, it's it's a you know it's a big issue for us in terms of, of talent, of of access to to, to skills and um, knowledge and experience. So we place a huge emphasis on on um, on um, upskilling, on sharing knowledge across the, across the organisation, um, also on recruitment. But it, it you know the, the, there aren't enough people necessarily out there with all the skills. So it's very much about upskilling ourselves, sharing knowledge, m- especially between. Um, geographic regions, so that um, we can deliver the work that we want to deliver.
0: Any thoughts from you on uh, how has how has NREPS team been shaped or, or reshaped as you've as you've pushed this priority further?
3: So we come from a very active asset management, hands-on value creation, development background in terms of competence, mm. and a lot of these you know competencies are in that space. So it's been more incrementally strengthening these, uh, plus adding the really deep expertise on the uh, ESG. But then, you know, actually, you know, funnily enough, e- the bigger impacts might be on the general, uh, you know, finding competence on the market because we do see, especially in the Nordics and especially in some markets within the Nordics, it's also funny, there are clearly market level differences uh, that they are, you know, people who are really, really driven by the agenda. Are, who would actually take a, you know, let's say trade-off in the, you know, uh, compensation package? Who would take a trade-off in the in their career to pursue, uh, you know, career where can they where can then they can really impact the uh, ESG? Uh, you know, what where it's, it's been like a direct impact from what they do.
0: Daniel, I wanted to, to pick up on a word that I remember you using a few times um, when we spoke before this panel. And that was creativity and the need for leaders to start to come up with more creative solutions. Unpack what the idea of creative leadership looks like to you when we're talking about this issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it comes um, back to, um, you know, the thought around leadership and governance and what is important. And I think we tend to think of governance as, you know, frameworks or structures or due diligence checklists or things that we need to comply with. But you can also use governance in a way to motivate and to inspire and to educate. And so, for example, um, we've created a forum within our European platform that we call the European ESG League, which is a forum where we um, talk with different people across the platform in terms of showcasing base, you know, best-case studies of w- how they've worked on a p- project in terms of a particular social agenda initia- initiative or you know, decarbonization Um, approach that helps to inspire so that you know it's not just about this is what you need to be doing but this is what good looks like and this is something that you can work towards and I think that creates also a little bit of a healthy competition um, but also motivation to to learn from that and um, and so I think a lot of that comes from having that governance structure or that forum that allows for that learning and motivation and and inspiration Um, and and also you know I, I guess Unpacking that a little bit, it, it comes from 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 example, from setting example. So, um, when people within our um, firm are taking on leadership positions in, say, for example, ULI with um, something called C-change, which is about um, linking carbon performance with valuation, you know, in that position in 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 the industry, that is something that within the firm, you know, has repercussions in terms of people seeing that as as, as something to aspire to. So there's a lot in terms of being able to motivate and learn, and then it doesn't have to be prescriptive in terms of you know this is what you're going to do, but to ins- inspire people to then see the the end goal and then you know create to be able to be creative to be able to achieve it.
0: Sorry, I thought you were about to ju- okay. jump in. I can, Go I can for it, if you like. please.
2: Because um, I think it's a really nice space, and I think I mean I- in our we think about that in lots of different ways, but um, I think the storytelling aspect of this is really important, and and. Um, uh, we have to bring people along the journey, and they have to. Um, they want to understand the challenges as much as the the, the good shiny news. I think so. Um, thinking about how you can be creative with getting that buy-in, bringing people with you on the journey, convincing people of of the why and the reason to do this. I think there's a there's a, there's a lot of creativity in that, and we can learn a lot from from um, those that, that that excel in storytelling. Um, I think, kind of linked to that, is in our, in our we have a lot of flexibility and a lot of encouragement that sustainability is everything and it, it needs to be part of everybody's day job and there's that flexibility to think about what does that mean for my discipline and what does that mean for the services that I'm offering. Um, and I think one of the benefits of the fact that we are owned in trust is that a lot of our profits are reinvested in the company focused on encouraging innovation and research and learning. And it, the way our it works is that anyone in the company can have access to that funding as long as they've got a good idea of what a good idea and something you know something good to do with that funding um and so that really i think creates that creativity if you like within the organization that anybody can should be encouraged to come up with an innovative yeah. idea
3: to us it seems that I- there's like a large you know impact simply from the fact that we humans are social so we love to see the stories we love to see the examples we'll love to also sort of learn from them. Um, And then, you know, on our side in NREP, we see that actually achieving our goals is also a lot about what we can do in the industry. You know, the getting to actually being able to scale the solutions hinges not only on our desire and ability to identify the solutions, it hinges on the industry being able to execute. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, for the operational it's important, but it's even bigger for the embodied. Like you know, we are not going to be zero with the carbon, uh, you know, in the you know steel and the concrete if those industries don't take those steps. And those industries don't take those steps because there's one who wants it. They take the steps because the whole industry actually wants to go that way. So for us, it's also about how can you inspire others, how can you show it's actually not that difficult, and then how you can sort of set the example so that also the change agents in other organisations who want to see it putting the flag up and say that hey we actually hear this can be done why are we not doing it
0: Jess can I jump back to you because I, I realise that I've been asking you a lot about what clients are telling you we haven't talked that much about Arup's own journey here um, what progress is being made within the business on its on its ESG strategy and how it's embedding that across the um, across the company
2: um, so like many others we've, we've set a net zero uh, target um, for our global operations Um, and as part of that, so that's net zero by 2030, and as part of that we have set um, a science-based target for our scope one, two, and three emissions um, to to reduce those by 30%. Um, But we're well aware that our greatest impact is through our projects, not through our own operations. And so um, at COP26 we announced that we were going to be um, assessing the whole life carbon of our building projects regardless of, of the client ask. So where we are today is we have um, data for something like 1,000 buildings um, in terms of whole life ca- whole life carbon, sorry. Um, and that tells us that our impact from our projects is something like 350 times greater than the impact of our, our global operations. Um, so that's really interesting to have that perspective. We're also aware that having that data is, is really va- I- valuable for the industry itself. And I think we, we're our challenge now is how we sort of encourage all these data sets that are being created to, to, to be useful um, and the right governance and, and, and structure around that that can help drive the whole industry forward in relation to whole life carbon, which is obviously a, a, key, a key issue that everybody um, is tackling. Um, I think when I was sort of reflecting on and this and this topic around leadership and culture, and I've mentioned a few things already, but partly I think and it's true for organisations that we work for as well, if you can see sustainability or sustainable development embedded within the the business strategy itself as opposed to sitting alongside it in an ESG strategy, I think it's much more powerful. And I think if that messaging is then coming through strongly, so from our chair and from our board, et cetera, um, it, does, it does really trickle down through the organisation. I think having those global leadership roles around sustainable development and key leadership roles across the organisation are helping us... Um, Operationalize and, and and drive it through the business, but we're on a journey, um, like everybody else. We we don't have all the answers, and so um, partnership is is really critical to our approach. So, with the likes of you know, C40, of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, etc., um, we can't do this alone.
0: We're almost out of time, but did we have any more any more questions in the room that people would like to put?
2: um thanks everyone for for your really insightful comments so far I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask was um, we've heard a lot about the kind of the the carbon challenge and, and the way you're looking at it but obviously ESG is, is broader than that uh, what should our leaders be thinking about next uh, as the next challenge that they should keep an eye on
0: <coughs> who's up first I
2: can <laughs> jump in but then let, let others I think it's interesting that you know, some organisations will do one topic at a time, and that's their way of um, gathering momentum and, and feeling like that's what they can cope with. But I think it really comes down to that materiality of understanding what are the key key issues. So you know, we're well aware that you know, nature and, and, and socioeconomic issues are, are just as important and don't often get the focus that they need. You know, we've seen a lot of conversation around... Um, net zero I certainly have in the last couple of days but um I'm particularly passionate about the 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 approach needed for nature um and I've worked a lot with 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 some organizations on that um but I don't think there's one size fits all I think it's about understanding where your your local context what's important for your organization and then putting an, an approach an effective approach together for that
1: yeah, I, c- I can add to that. I think, you know, when we th- think about the, the E and, S and ESG, we tend to think about decarbonization and things like biodiversity and circularity. But the S is really then where we start to talk about the impact that we have on people, right? Um, and and so that's, w- in real estate, we have a huge role to play because we're shaping the way that it's we're impacting people, whether that's our occupiers or the communities that within which we're building. So having that very clear in terms of the objectives and, being able to identify what are the social indicators or, or criteria that we're seeking to improve, and it, I think it does need to be authentic to each project. I don't think that what you're doing on one project, in terms of the interest, you know, the objectives for a particular community interest group, are going to be the same across all of them. But at least having the frame of mind and the objectives of, you know, having that in place, embedded so that the teams are thinking about them when they're approaching a project is going to be really crucial in terms of being successful in those outcomes, whether they're about job creation or about you know uh, affordability or access to amenities and services. Um, but it's making sure that those objectives of having that embedded into the objectives of, of that the success of that project is going to be really crucial.
3: this space obviously has a lot of, you know, further very important questions. And and when it comes specifically to the social angle, this I know is not the perfect answer, but we've we sort of discussed internally a lot is the, the difficulty of articulating what it actually means. And it goes back to the, the, you know, what you said about that it is very much, you know, project by project, which also then means that it's very difficult to sort of implement and scale. So one reason why we feel that the whole, you know, E has gotten so much weight is because everybody's mind is on the carbon, but also because it is actually measurable. So if I could sort of have my wish to the ESG fairy, it would be, what is the metric? What is the sort of relevant thing for the S? And I don't think we have, as an industry, found that yet.
0: I know a couple of others had questions. Um, I'm hoping maybe you can grab our panelists afterwards, because I'm going to have to keep this to time, and we are just about out. But A huge thank you um, to our panelists for sharing their thoughts on on a very important topic. I'm coming away, I think there are three C's then that I've tracked, creativity, culture, conviction, which um, you you yelled out practically at us, so maybe I I should have said that one first. Um, Please stick around, we've got a short break and um, then we will have Lord Dominic Johnson, uh, Minister for Investment, giving a keynote speech. So um, we'd love you to stay with us for that. But for now, if you could put your hands together for our panelists and um, show them some appreciation. Thank you.